Hello, everyone, and welcome back to our environmental studies podcast called Office Hours. Today, we are joined with our very special guest, Katie Monson. Um, my name is Kathy. As always, my pronouns are she, hers. I'm a fourth year studying environmental studies with a concentration in agroecology and food justice, and I'm also double majoring in sociology. And like I said, I'm so excited to be joined by Katie Monson here. If you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, let us know your pronouns, field of interest, and where you're located. Great. I'm Katie Monson, and I use she, her pronouns. I have a big field of interest. I'm in all kinds of things having to do with environmental studies, but especially I love food systems. And I also like thinking about watersheds and and freshwater ecology and, and sustainability, all kinds of things like that. A wide variety of interests. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm located in Santa Cruz. Yes, nice. So yeah, so I think first starting off, we sort of always wanna get, um, start off with a check-in question and see how you're doing. And like I said last time, we are sort of in this weird remote era of technology in school, um, but how has working from home been for you? What are some things that have helped you manage the transition and what is working from home been like for you? Yeah, this last year has been an incredible challenge. <laughs> and um, <laughs> just, just overall, at the start of the pandemic, we were in our, we were in a two bedroom condo and what I really became aware of was the challenge of soundscape. It's like we have landscapes and we have soundscapes. And in that space with my husband working from home, me working from home, and then both of my daughters who are in, in grade school and middle school, with them learning at home, it was such, there was just no place for quiet. And especially like trying to trying to teach my class while hearing other people's whole worlds going on around me. That was a massive challenge. We've moved to a bigger space, which has been incredibly helpful. And I have a door I can close. <laughs> which I've never been so appreciative of doors. <laughs> and, uh, and then we also, it's also been a challenge just having it's like this chance for everybody to see me get to parent live all the time, because especially my younger daughter will, anybody who's had classes with me over this last year, she just, she just kind of floats on in or stomps on in. She arrives, she arrives right here in the room. And there's, there's only so much I can do while we're in like our class window. Right. Yeah. And so Mostly she's there just because she really wants to participate and be involved. <laughs> but, yeah. but that whole like integrate, like my whole work and home life is like super connected. It's also just a challenge um, teaching, teaching you all without being able to read how everything's going in quite the same way. If I'm saying something, it's harder to see if people are understanding it, if I need to change and like use a different way of talking about it or a different metaphor. So there are things like that um, that have been a super challenge of, of teaching remotely and being away from you all. And 
for managing the transition. Lots of humor, lots of patience, lots of <laughs> trying to make sure I'm checking in with everybody more. Um, one funny little tool I really appreciate is chat and everybody being on chat and chatty on the chat in the chat box. That has that has helped. And I almost want to see if there are ways of keeping something like that when we're back in person, because I think it's maybe a little less intimidating to put questions there mm -hmm. instead of verbalizing them all the time. So there are definitely silver linings to all this, but it also very challenging. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, I've taken a couple classes with you during non-remote periods and now during remote time and I always appreciate your daughter coming in and she read us a poem the other day which was amazing in the caption um really made my day so it's definitely a transition but we're having fun during it for sure that's good probably the person that's most disturbed by her arrival of anybody is just me <laughs> Probably, yeah, probably. But yeah, it's always a great time. So yeah, with that being said, um, you mentioned you lived in Santa Cruz now. I think with, you know, with this podcast, what we really want to get um, down to is just understanding and knowing each other a bit better, especially like we're saying, we're in this remote time and it's so hard to get to know what students are feeling just through Zoom, just through the screen, the digital divide. So want to know first and foremost where are you from you know your hometown and where you've lived and anything else you sort of want to share about yourself sure so I grew up in eastern Washington near near Spokane right outside of Spokane mm -hmm. so I grew up in like like an almost rural neighborhood where everybody had like an acre of land and and like there was often a horse pasture or uh, I think there was just one house that had cows out and back. People had chickens or vegetable gardens. So it was really easy to play outside all the time with, with friends up and down the street and just kind of go house to house and um, back pasture to back pasture and wander all around. So that's, and then you could just look out and see there was Mount Spokane off in the distance, not, not too far distance, and then and then wheat fields right between us and the mountains. And then it was just a hop into town. So it was this really beautiful landscape. And we had at, at our house, we had we would have vegetables, we had fruit trees, like just a few, just a little or a really little tiny orchard, like you know, nothing like the Chadwick Garden at all, but just a couple plum trees and a couple apple trees. And then also lots of flowers. My dad sold wildflower seeds while I was growing up. So if, like you'd go to a national park and there'd be like a, a display of seeds that maybe of plants you'd maybe seen out hiking. So there would be, Ooh. yeah, yeah. And so part of my growing up was also like, like helping like clean seeds and and like mm -hmm. and get them ready to be shipped out in packets so I, I I helped out with that too so I spent a lot of time just outside in the yard like in the pastures in the gardens under the it's ponderosa pine area under the pine trees and 
and just lots of time just kind of being outside and playing outside. I think that's like a huge, that has a huge effect on who I have been now. Yeah, <laughs> that's so interesting, especially I grew up in California. So that's like all I really know. I mean, I've, I've been to a couple other places, but it's definitely different to like live it and then visit. So what do you think is like the biggest difference from growing up over there to now living in California? Oh, that's a super interesting question. It kind of the bigger difference was moving from Washington to Iowa, Mm -hmm. where I did my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And that was a really different landscape. That was, it was so flat and, um, and the way storms and weather just moved across the landscape, just it felt like I was so exposed. Like there was nothing on the horizon to like mark where I was like no mountain or anything for like navigation. And I mean, navigation, even in town, it's just like, I'm just used to seeing something on the landscape. It's such a funny feeling. And I felt so, it felt so open there and it was prairie, right. And Mm -hmm. corn and soybeans. So the agriculture was super different. Yeah. And and, and then it was just a really, the, the community was really different too. The people there were really different. It was very, you felt like you could easily call on, I mean, in some ways it was like, oh, life was like really slowed down in a lot of ways. It, it feels much faster here. Mm-hmm. And also um, another big difference was, yeah, in, in just, um, like harder to be vegetarian there, just a more conservative community overall. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. And way less diverse in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so going from Washington to there was like, I felt totally like we were on like a cultural exchange of some kind. And then, I mean, where the language was the same, but it really did feel really different. And we were really far from our families. And then coming to California was a lot, it's like, oh, we're back on the West Coast. This feels, it's just, it's, it just is so much more connected up to Washington. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of the, that is the bigger difference. This doesn't feel that, that, I mean, it's, it's, warmer it's drier it's it's less green than I also because I went to school in western Washington is less green mm-hmm. than western Washington but it still is feel it's just like on a continuum whereas yeah. like Iowa felt really different yeah yeah I grew up in the Central Valley so I definitely relate a lot to like knowing what the hometown is just like farms dairy cattle things like that very much so so I like also have gone to the east I've gone to Florida and I lived there for a couple months and just like that is such a cultural difference as well and then the thing that you just said about being vegetarian is so much harder like over in a place like Florida it's so much more difficult than like here in California which is something that I never thought of but I was vegetarian when I moved and it was it was so interesting to go over there and be like whoa this is not the same at all it's yeah so interesting but yeah I think with that being said you it seems sort of like your interest sort of in what you studied and what you um field of interest now definitely align with where you grew up um and you sort of said that that like being outside and that um ability to have like that sort of outdoor like um but love for the outdoors definitely influenced you do you think like your interests are super super related to the way you grew up and you know yeah where you lived 
Yeah. And of course, then there's also just like the part of me that's me, like, right. Like, cause my mm. sister isn't <laughs> studying food systems or anything. Yeah. Right. So same household. And I'm like, huh, I wonder kids on my block, like, you know, I'm still, it's like, it definitely had an effect, but I don't know if it was just where a lot of them are. So I have no, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming they're not, they're not all doing the same thing, but it did. It like, and it took like, I've like really for a long time had, um, had really like, I would, I loved to read about Jane Goodall, right? I loved to read about like, and Marie, Cur Marie Curie. So like people doing, like women doing science, especially, I loved reading about, um, about them. And, and I wanted to like be outside and like make observations. I wish I had something like bird school. Like when I was little, I would have just totally eaten that up. I was like outside, like trying to like figure out what to write about, but I, I didn't know. And <laughs> yeah. And then also, I think also like with, my, and then with my mom too, we, we made like she canned a whole bunch of food. So I learned about jamming and like jamming and canning. And so there, it's like all this magical mix of things, plus just me being who I am and my interests. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They like are so intertwined. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool to see, especially, um, you know, when hearing about it and courses and stuff, and especially when you're studying something that you are so passionate about, which sort of leads me to ask more into your educational background and um, what you studied in your undergraduate and you've mentioned going to graduate school as well in Iowa. So yeah, what universities did you attend? You know, what were your majors and yeah. Sure. Okay, so I, after I graduated from high school, I went across Washington State to Pacific Lutheran University. And that's the school my mom went there and her brothers went there. And so it was very, and my, my, um, my uncle's wives went there. So it was very much this family school. And I had been out there one January. So Eastern Washington gets cold and snowy, right? And mm -hmm. it's cold and snowy in the winter. But Western Washington, I went out there one January and I was like, whoa, it's so green. And it's not totally, it's like chilly, but it's not super frozen all the time. So I was like, this is such a great place. And I, um, and I also did a summer program at that school um, and I was like, this is a great spot. And so I was like, I'll just go, I'll go here. And I really, am, it was a great spot. I was a biology major. And then I also did um, journalism and we also had big old printing presses. So I did a publishing and printing arts minor where I learned how to use the, the letter presses and, mm -hmm. and do printing. So I loved, I loved all of that. And I loved what I was able to do at a, yeah, so it was a, there are 3,500 students there. Oh. So I, I really liked that size. And yeah, I had a great experience. I had excellent teachers and, and wow, yeah. I, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's really cool that you said that um, your mom went there and so it's sort of like a family thing. That's that's definitely, I can relate to that in the way that my sister went to UCSE, and so I sort of followed in her footsteps, because um, my parents didn't go to college, but it's so, like my older sister was like, she's the blueprint, and I followed along with that, so it's very cool. That is really cool. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, there's that special little connection when somebody else Goes, has been there, right? Yeah. yeah, it's like we live the same experiences, but definitely very different. Yeah. Definitely very different. 
we have similar um, similar experiences, but totally different journeys through our yeah. four years. Oh, that was be- that beautifully said, Kathy. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, you um, went to Pacific Lutheran, and after that, uh, you did you go directly to like graduate school, or was there sort of some time? Like, how was that process? Yeah. So there were I I. After I graduated, I worked at our university for a year in the um, in the Office of Public Information. So I did press releases for our university and um, let's see, yeah, like press releases and a weekly newsletter for the faculty and staff. So and like coordinated calls, like people wanted to talk to an expert in something, and I would figure out who that was and connect mm-hmm. people up that way. So that was, that was really my job for that first year drawing on that like publishing and printing minor. And I had thought I wanted to go to grad school in marine ecology. That seemed really interesting and exciting. And I had loved my biological oceanography class that I took as an, um, as an undergrad. And then um, and then, so let's see, I worked there for a year and then I actually did AmeriCorps for a year and worked at a technical college and taught people um, in, in whatever they needed. So I was doing um, English for non-native English speakers. I was doing like trigonometry for, for like a, a computer, like a, like a, computer assisted design is that what it is CAD programming for a, for somebody who was doing CAD programming to like for des, like design and then or like teaching like long subtraction for somebody who was working on their GED so I was teaching a whole a whole range of folks and that was a great experience um, but well in that first year when I was te- when I was working in the office of public information I went to a talk by Peter Rossett from Food First. And I heard Peter use the word agroecology for the first time. And it was like the moment like where the sunlight shines through the <laughs> through the roof. <laughs> like I was like, that word. What why have I never heard? Because this is like, we're talking like this is like like fall 1996 Mm -hmm. it's like I've never heard that before so this is it's like still it was just coming out into the world at that time it was Mm -hmm. like that is like that is all these things I had because I had been interested in like why are why do we have hunger in the world right I had questions Mm -hmm. like that what is what is what makes that happen and I wanted to bring like attention to hunger issues and and the the I loved biological oceanography, but my other favorite classes were really the plant classes and plant ecology classes. And then I was also really in like drawing, like on my, like my background growing up and like interested in like how plants grow outside in food systems. And I was like, that is it. That is totally what I want to do. So when that, when that seed was planted essentially in that fall of 96, then I started like trying to learn about that more. And then it was when I was in AmeriCorps that I applied for grad school. Yeah. Cause I had like a cost, well, not accosted, but I went up to Peter right after his talk and I was like, (laughs) where do I go? What do, where do I find out about this? Yeah. Yeah. 
forget yeah. biologic oceanography. I'm, I'm total. I mean, other people, <laughs> that's great. Other people can do that, but I am so in. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's really interesting. You say that about sort of light shining in when you heard first heard of the word agroecology. I, I feel like I had a similar experience, but I, um, ended up watching, I first quarter, first year, spring quarter I actually did an uh, internship and you were my faculty sponsor for it so it's really Yay. funny um, <laughs> but I worked at a native garden and I worked on regenerative agriculture like bu building regenerative agriculture system there and it was like the first time that I was actually sort of getting my hands in the soil with like doing anything at school and it was an experience that I really enjoyed and I also took an environmental art class which we watched the movie called um, Can You Dig This and Ron Finley's in this movie if you've never seen it and it that movie definitely like I watched it and I was like, well, this is what I need to be doing. Like, this is everything that I'm interested in. It, it's Ron Finley is probably my favorite person that I know as of now for agroecology does amazing things. But um, yeah, very similar experience with the term agroecology and sort of figuring out what that means, especially in, in the sense of food justice. Um, yeah. You know, in California and obviously there's there's so many ways um, to go about that and not like food sovereignty. But I definitely relate like a lot of what you just said about that for sure. Yeah, yeah it's um, like, that's it. That just that moment. It clicks. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> it all clicks. It all makes sense. Yes. So you then went to go sort of ask like, what are your next steps? What are you like? You know, you apply to grad school. You yeah. go to grad school, and what? Yeah, where do you go, and what do you major in? Yep. So then I went to Iowa State University, mm -hmm. and I. Um, I actually did an ecology major for my master's degree. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I actually, my project was looking at um, the spatial patterns of prairie plants. Mm -hmm. So I did transects out on the prairie, vegetation yeah. transects, and got a whole bunch of presence absence data and then ran a whole bunch of different statistical methods to try to look and see. Like, so the, the overall question was, when we're planning prairie restorations, is there some kind of, can we, can we come up with a way to measure how well we're doing? Like what, is there some, do we see patterns in the plants on, in, um, in remnant prairies, in native prairies? Because there's less than a 10th of a percent of Iowa's prairies left because they, the prairies made the conditions that are awesome for farming. And so most of yeah. them have been lost. And so <laughs> my data just showed that the prairie plants are really heterogeneous. There really are not very many, like we couldn't really see patterns. They're really well blended. And I mean, there are, there are patterns like across like gradients of like down, uh, like uphill to downhill, things like that. But there, but there are not like clusters of any particular plants. And we looked in a bunch of ways and we didn't see it. And so I was working on that and learning about the prairie. And at the same time, I was getting really involved in the alternative ag community. So there was a group called the Iowa Network for Community Agriculture. And that was, that was what I spent a lot of time with. And just, I would go, we would have um, like field days and we'd go out to different farms and go learn what people were working on. We would... Um, or we would have workshops or conferences and 
I just really grew to love that community and learned so much from the folks in that community. And it was really like them versus the whole world, right? They were, it was like, there are these little pockets of organic or other kind of other sustainable agriculture forms in the midst of like this corn and soybeans landscape. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was there for three years and then, um, and in one of my classes, we used the agroecology book by Steve Gleesman. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew I wanted to head back this way. So I, um, I talked with Steve and then also talked with Carol Shannon and Carol had room in her lab and I applied and here we are. Here we so, are. I came, so I came here for my PhD. So I started that in 2001. Wow. Yeah. And so what do you like think you, you've done a, quite a few like schools and just different schooling experiences. What are sort of the moments that you like most cherish from the different experiences you've had? Wow. Okay. So there's like, there's like one like totally golden afternoon. Well, it's in the, but this is extracurriculars. That that's okay, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anything that's academic, non-academic, any anything about your experience. Yeah. So in Iowa, oh, there's so many of these are again, wow, just coming back to field-based. So in Iowa, there was this moment where we were we'd gone to a on a field trip to um, Francis Thickey's farm in southeastern Iowa and he has a farm called Radiance Dairy mm-hmm. and I've brought him up in classes before so people might recognize when I talk about Francis Thickey and he's an extraordinary farmer he's he was a soil scientist he worked for the USDA and then he came back and bought this land and he would he had the most beautiful, happy cows I've ever seen. Happy cows don't live in Iowa. I'm totally, I'm sorry, Clover. Happy cows are on Francis's farm. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of other happy, happy cows, but they were, I'm sure if I could have heard with the right ears, they were singing in the fields. So he had them and he, it was the first time I had really seen rotational grazing and he had them on strips and he just had a single strand of hot wire running down each side of the field mm-hmm. and um and he would so they would get fresh pasture every morning and every evening and and they they just looked so they just they just looked so well cared for and he t- and he totally approached it with a scientific eye too he's like wow if i like he was like okay which which mixes of clover and grasses do they like the best so he would like take notes on everything he was doing mm-hmm. and try to get try to figure out what was best for them what was best for the soil everything and so only a couple of us had shown up for this field for this field day for whatever reason mm-hmm. and he had made a lot of strawberry ice cream fresh strawberry ice cream so <laughs> so we were sitting on this hillside in the in the late summer, eating way too much fresh <laughs> strawberry ice cream. Oh and it was so beautiful. And it was like, as all full of this learning I had just done and like full of this gorgeous ice cream. And then in this like community of people, it was, it was totally beautiful. That sounds, yeah, that sounds amazing. And just <laughs> the fact that you made fresh strawberry ice cream is 
that's amazing um yeah reminds me of a little bit of going to like Castus on campus for those that maybe haven't been on uh, campus or haven't been able to see Castus just walking around and being able to explore and also see like you know all the fruits and um all the crops and just everything that they're growing is like always always really nice especially when there's a sunset and maybe the cows are over in the field over really yeah that's what that reminds me of yeah or like a like um an early afternoon at the Chadwick and the sun again is like shining through the trees Mm -hmm. right and there's like late season roses still going and the the like citrus is finishing there's some there's some some citrus ripening and (laughs) we're all out there digging it's all like those moments where it's just I just feel so full like Mm -hmm. all learning this and whether or not everybody goes on to you know change the food system I it seems like every chance we have at that kind of like being really present absorbing like wow what could our food system be and how could it be nourishing and not just nourishing like we're getting the right nutrients right Mm -hmm. but like nourishing like our whole selves yeah and all kinds of people involved how do we make this more just like you're saying right and and human how do we make it more human yeah yeah in what ways what techniques what you know the future of agroecology and food justice in general is there's so many possibilities and I think that is like the reason that a lot of students definitely tend to love the field and love agroecology um especially in a school like this where we there's a lot of opportunity to sort of learn and learn from different people learn the different knowledges that people have um so yeah I totally agree and and that sort of brings me to the work that you do now mm-hmm. um you know with the courses that you facilitate and yeah I, I sort of want to know and for the students that don't know you know can you sort of walk us through what courses you facilitate and a little bit, just like maybe a quick blurb about each of them? <laughs> sure. Okay. Let's see. Um, I'll start just by giving a plug for the internships because those are one of my classes in winter yeah. and spring quarters is um, working with the two unit interns. And so I highly encourage folks to, to do the, do the internships. Like you said, I mean, people, they either will be like, wow, this is something that I'm super interested in. Or sometimes they're like, I thought I would be interested in this and I am really not at all. Yeah. And that is, I mean, all you've done is use two credits to figure that out. That is so much better than like having gone into a, a job to have to figure that out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I really, I really love getting to work with the two unit interns. Okay, so let's see, there's two unit interns. Then there's freshwater ecology and its lab. And so for freshwater ecology, we are thinking about the different kinds of freshwater systems. We're thinking about streams and rivers, lakes and reservoirs. Reservoirs are different from lakes, it turns out. (laughs) We're thinking about wetlands and in all the various forms and under and water groundwater, mm-hmm. water in the ground. So we, we think about those, we think about those locally, like we use, we look at a lot of local examples, we think about those globally, drawing on case studies from um, around the world. And yeah, 
thinking about the organisms, the nutrients, the pollution, we tried to tie in a lot of different pieces. And then for the lab, we um, go on a lot of field trips to collect invertebrates and bring them back and identify them. We, we learn about um, um, water management. So we go down to the, the water resource center and learn about wastewater um, in, um, in Watsonville. Yeah, just lots of time going outside and dinking around in in freshwater systems. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's one, that's freshwater ecology. And the lab is optional in case mm -hmm. anybody listening has that question, you, you don't have to do both. Then, then, and also major props to all the people who were in freshwater ecology this year and went and did all that work on streams on their own to try to find invertebrates that we could learn about that we could try that they we could try to identify through through the computer <laughs> and then let's see then there's 130a which is the introduction to agroecology and, and sustainable foods or just i guess agroecology and sustainable food systems and so that is really the biophysical introduction to agroecology and thinking about um, all, the, all the biotic and abiotic components of agroecosystems. We weave in the human component, of course, but the focus is on the nutrients and the energy and photosynthesis and all of that, how plants grow, those kinds of things. Then there's 133, which is the agroecology practicum where we, and I tend to teach it in winter quarter and Damien in spring quarter. Mm -hmm. And the last, the last year and this year, uh, I teamed up with Oren Martin for, uh, for most of the class. And with, so we could put a focus on fruit trees in the winter, which was great. Um, yes, because then we can work around, we don't have to worry about muddy field conditions as much when we're doing it, mm -hmm. we're doing it that way. And so we, we do, we tie in like recurrent research on, on food, on food systems. And then we also spend a lot of time like learning about the trees and how to prune them and, and as well as compost and cover crops and kind of do a whole tree picture. And then there's um, 170, which is climate change in agriculture. We're almost done though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's climate change in agriculture. And that is really what that's about climate change in agriculture and its many facets and how, um, how they are, how climate and agriculture affect each other. How what the, deci the decisions we make in agriculture and the practices we use and the way our food system is set up, the effects of that on the climate and then the climate how important climate is in determining what agroecosystems we can even have in different locations mm -hmm. and then how changes in that climate are going to be impacting if anybody's interested in that class i tell you up front that you have to be ready for uncertainty because there's a lot we don't know yet about those about especially um the effects 
Well, both ways, the effects of agriculture on climate and climate on climate change on agriculture. Yeah. And then there's the senior capstone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the senior capstone is a chance to um, reflect on where you've been so far. It's a chance to write a, a critical review paper on a topic of your interest, really drawing together, like really being able to come at a topic in a different way from when you started in 100. And it's like drawing on all the information you've had through your courses now and mm -hmm. being able to analyze it. We also do cover letters and resumes and talk about different ways of getting jobs and we and jobs, resumes, cover letters. There's something, oh, grant proposals. We write grant proposals too. Yeah. So really kind of some skills for going out into the world. Yeah, a lot of professional development from yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah, class. exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for yeah. It. Yeah. No, that's thank you for sharing with that. Um, sharing with us all those courses that you sort of facilitate. I've gotten the chance to take now three of them, I believe. 130A, yeah. 170, and now the capstone. So yeah, love taking classes with you. Um, especially like you were saying, I think with the uh, climate change in agriculture um that course itself like the unknown it's it's always really interesting to take courses like that because we sort of do talk about different systems that exist in the United States and then we talked about like other countries as well um but yeah there's so much unknown that they're like constantly we're constantly getting new information and uh things are constantly changing so it's always really interesting to take uh, classes like that especially when it comes to the research that's being done and that exists for sure yeah yeah um so yeah with those courses and sort of you it, it you definitely have a lot going on um in terms of courses you facilitate and students that you you know are working with are there sort of any projects that you work on on the side or you know with these classes that like you really you know are really super interested in yeah there are I haven't been doing a lot of outside projects directly with the classes lately. Mm -hmm. I, there are things that I am interested in mm -hmm. um, in doing again. Like I did um, an analysis of macroinvertebrates up in the up in streams around Boulder Creek for the mm -hmm. San Lorenzo Valley Water District. That was really interesting to give them some baseline data on on water quality through macroinvertebrates. Yeah. But, um, but it's that like doing that part has been, I haven't been doing that work directly with students very much lately. It's really, um, I've been spending more time working with the Center for Innovations in Teaching and Learning, mm -hmm. um, CIDL on campus. Mm -hmm. And so thinking more with other faculty and, and also teaching faculty on ways of increasing their engagement with students mm -hmm. and um, thinking about different ways of learning and how we can work with different kinds of learners and, and different ways of assessing people's knowledge. So yeah. that's, that's been more of my side project time has been on learning about learning and teaching about learning. <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's super interesting especially 
um, with sort of the courses that you do teach, it sounds a little bit in a way similar to like the caption and sort of honing in on your skills and what, you know, what things you do like about either learning or education or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so that's super interesting. And I think, yeah, it, it sounds like you do a lot for the department. So I, you know, I want to sort of ask, what do you think is the most rewarding part about being a part of the environmental studies department here at UCSC? I just am constantly in awe of everything the students are bringing mm -hmm. to us and what you all are learning, what makes you really excited, what makes you really passionate, that totally changes my own approach to topics and mm -hmm. what it makes me keep learning and growing and the conversation gets to keep evolving that way. So working with all of you and, and your varied interests and your, your um, environmental so studies students have this like passion for justice, right? Mm -hmm. And whether, whether they're in like a more, whether they're doing conservation and, mm -hmm. or they're doing GIS or they're doing, um, policy analysis or agroecology that there's this or restoration right that there's this theme of wanting to do better for our planet and it's you know when I first was here in 2001 I started TAing that first quarter I was here mm -hmm. I TA'd the agroecology class that I teach now 130a oh wow yeah, yeah I know like but, a full right? circle moment yeah <laughs> Totally full circle moment. And you all have changed. Like the, if I think about the group of students from that first year, and they have that same passion, mm -hmm. but the questions we're asking now are different from the, the, the overall composition of people. And then the questions we're asking, they've, it's evolved and it's changed. And it's so, it's so inspiring to to be witness to that and part of that and supporting that in that whole capacity. That's, that is really what, um, what I love quite a lot. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. I had no idea that you TA'd um, 138 and now you teach it. So especially being able to sort of, because 2001 to now, it's like very, a lot has changed just in yeah. the world and the university and everything. So I think what are sort of some of the things that you, what are some of the themes now that you see that are much different in terms of maybe like research questions or even just like questions students have about agroecology or maybe things that they wanna pursue in agroecology? Oh yeah, let's see. Um, much more awareness of, of not, oh, let's see. Well, just much more awareness of class and race and gender in, in there. Yeah. Not that agroecology students before, like, you know, they, they cared about, about all of that, but there was, it felt like a lot of people were, had maybe more of a kind of back to the land kind of focus. Like they mm -hmm. wanted themselves to be like learning, learning the practices. And there is such, and I'm sure if we had talked, right. I don't want to like create a binary, right. No, I'm yeah. sure if we'd talked to people at the time, they'd be, oh, right. We, this is definitely about everybody involved, mm -hmm. but I don't, I think that the awareness of 
there's just such a better awareness of the many people involved with the food system mm -hmm. and how how embedded race yeah. and class and gender are in yeah. who is doing what jobs in the food system and how we how we change that and whose voices are amplified you know i there's, there's a, a book yeah yeah like there's a book that i am i haven't used for our climate change and agriculture class because every example in there is most of the examples of the farmers in there are landed white males mm -hmm. like they have yeah. land they're they have they own like most of them own the land right and mm -hmm. they're mostly white men and that's important they've been doing a lot of good work and we need more voices. So it's just like, I don't want to use that book because it's just the voices of other people aren't in there. And I think mm -hmm. that I'm not sure I would have recognized that in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that um, it makes sense just the, the way that, you know, the social issues sort of have come to the forefront, especially in majors like this, when it's already so intertwined um, with like, those societal issues and those other factors but it's really cool to hear that there's definitely been like a shift and it's, it's a visible shift into what students are researching and um, the questions that we ask and what we focus on um, just because it, it's a very different time it, you know things so much change so much so many things change in the years and so it's really cool to hear especially because now from my experience I've seen a lot of um I'm taking quite a few agriculture classes. I've done my time in those, and you know, done a couple internships and have been involved. Um, and so, I myself have seen like the the way I see agroecology now. I feel for sure would be so different from you know if I was a student, however many years ago. So it's really interesting to think about, especially when um, thinking of what like the future of agroecology looks like, and yeah. sort of what the next steps are because in 19, 20 years from now, things will probably be so different too, which is like insane to think about um, in terms of what the future of agroecology could be. And so this might be a daunting or really big question to ask, but you know, what do you see the future of agroecology looking like? And, you know, whether it's in terms of food systems, um, this like physical component of agriculture itself, the people and working in agroecology you know what sort of do you hope to see um the future of agroecology yeah i think more and more voices so i can mm -hmm. bring to you all some of the voices but then and like i said i, I i'm fully aware that not everybody is going to go into agroecology research or whatever yeah. in the future right <laughs> yeah but, but i just hope for more and more diversity of voices in many ways and and then the, an, an ability for us to keep kind of relocalizing but not make localized not make local agriculture the be-all and end-all because knowing that it's imperfect mm -hmm. too and I'm not going to give up cocoa anytime soon so trying to figure <laughs> out like how do we do this globally just and sustainable system because we have to figure this out yeah it's it's our food mm -hmm. <laughs> we have to it's our warming <laughs> planet right we have yeah. to we just have to do this work it's like yeah. critical it's important yeah so and i think the more people we have thinking about it in a variety of modalities oh and also continuing to prioritize 
the knowledge of practitioners mm-hmm. um, from, in, in, again, in many capacities, right? So from people that are growing the food, people that are involved in moving food around, people that are involved in serving food, how do we like keep connecting all of these back together and valuing, how do we keep valuing or how do we put more value on knowledge that isn't just from a lab or a field study, but how do we listen, how do we listen to, um, listen carefully to people who are practicing in, who are part of the food system, food systems daily manifestations. <laughs> yeah, that was really, yeah, that was really well put. Um, and I definitely echo a lot of what you said and, and that I totally agree. Um, there's so much to look forward to, I think, in terms of future of agroecology and what food justice and food systems can look like. Um, but I, I want to also get to know sort of what what is next for you in terms of maybe projects or research that you're looking maybe towards the future, uh, passion projects, any goals that you have you know, either academically or just like personal goals that you sort of want to see yourself achieving, um, whether it's like related to agroecology or not. Uh, yeah. What, what does that look like for you? Sure. Okay. Let's see. I want to make it to next September. That's, like- <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing. Yes. <laughs> Get to September. Life goal number one. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And um let's see so outside of that it has been such a daunting year because it's like it really has been like okay I have to like I have to, I have to make it to next week and then I have to make it to the next week the week after and just continuing yeah <laughs> never have I been like oh my gosh week six I think I'm gonna make it if I'm at week <laughs> six like never just so intensely like yeah hey, Okay, we're gonna get there. Um, okay, <laughs> so outside of pandemic, um, um, I really love working with Siddle. So I hope to keep working with the Center for Innovations in Teaching and Learning, and keep um, just keep coming back to um, learning about ways that we work with learners. Yeah. So I'm right. That I I love that, and I. Um, I love thinking about, yeah, the ways we shape classrooms, the tools we, the tools we take from that we've been learning now that we take back into our teaching, like just constantly, how do we do this? How do we do this? I'm really excited next winter to be back in person with Oren and taking what we learned from 133 last year. Um, and then a little, and then some from this year too, like people really liked having a home project to do this year. They did a home project um, as part of 133 as part of the practicum. So like going, going back to that and thinking about how we'll shape next winter's Mm -hmm. winter's class on fruit trees. And let's see. Um, I am, oh, I know what is so exciting is I have my own garden, for, like big garden for the first time. Last, previously, my garden was, was tiny and under a neighbor's tree. So it was super oh. shaded. <laughs> and, um, and, 
and then oh and then I kind of also had a strip I could plant along so I had I had a couple roses I had I had way more plants than should have fit in that place but roses (laughs) and grapevine and some salvia so I had like some stuff going on and like a, some char, I'd grow like a chard or a tomato or whatever, and some few potatoes. But now I have sunlight and space, and it is so. So I am, I am, um, creating a garden of my own for the first time. So that is that is really really kind of what I'm so stoked about. And I went out and planted, I planted fruit trees. It was so funny though. I had like this panic attack in the not a not a genuine panic attack, but but a moment where I was like overheated and had to leave because <laughs> oh, no. I was at the garden, I was at the garden center and, and I was having to pick fruit trees and it was, they were almost, it was almost closing time. And I was like, oh my gosh, can I remember all that I've learned from Oren right now <laughs> in this moment? All I've, <laughs> can I actually put into practice all these things that all the ways th- of thinking about fruit trees that I've been talking about for all this time. I just, I just had to be like, okay, I'll come, I'll go home and catch my breath and come back tomorrow and, <laughs> and get my trees. So I have root, I have four apples. So this is all very exciting for me to actually have planting space. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really exciting. I hope we, we get updates on your trees. Um, definitely. <laughs> would love that. Um, I'll have to like start posting them somewhere. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. Yes. But yeah, I that is pretty much it in terms of sort of talking about your history in undergraduate to graduate to, you know, where you are now. But this next segment we like to call our drop-in hour segment, and it's just going to be quick fire questions. You can feel free to answer as much or as little as you want to say. But the first one is, where, what is your favorite spot at UCSC? That is such not a fair question. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Here's my super, here's my super rapid fire question is, um, in the stream at Cave Gulch and in the blueberry patch at Caspis and like at, in the roses at the Chadwick Garden and many places in between. Amazing. Perfect. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I like to say that my favorite spot is either somewhere in Oaks watching the sunset, um, especially by mm. Oaks Cafe, but also Caspis is just so many great spots and the barn as well. The hay barn as well. Oh, yeah. Very nice. So yeah. next question is what is your favorite food slash foods? Okay. Is totally fresh strawberries. Mm. Like when, um, when, yeah, fresh strawberries right out of the field is like my peak food moment that like is when yeah. I'm like at Swanton Berry Farm picking picking it out in the U-Pick eating mm. more than I should in the U-Pick that is my like that's amazing yeah getting to pick your own fruits and crops and eating them right off the spot is um amazing I, I definitely that's like one of the best experiences for sure um and with that being said this is different but yeah similar but different what is your favorite food crop yeah that again Kathy it's like asking (laughs) which of my children is my favorite right (laughs) I'm gonna make you pick between all of them you can say a few you can say a few and the different reasons maybe why I just totally love learning about about crops let's see um yeah this is like for like (laughs) 
when I travel, my favorite thing to do is go to the farmer's market and see like what is there. It's like, Mm -hmm. whoa, what is in this town? Right. And then, and then to drive and to drive and be looking at like what is growing in the fields. Um, It's so neat to watch cotton. Cotton is so beautiful. And it's like Mm -hmm. hibiscus. It's related to hibiscus. So Mm -hmm. it's like a hibiscus-y flower out there. That's super fascinating. I love the apple blossoms first thing in the spring and when they're opening up. And then, um, so that's really amazing to watch. And um, yeah. Yeah. Tomato plants. Tomatoes are, yeah. I was going to say tomatoes. And um, I grew up in a town that had a lot of uh, apricot and apricot orchards. So those for sure for me are my favorite oh yeah oh my gosh totally yeah oh it's almost apricot time it is yes that's really exciting (laughs) um but next question is this one you can feel free to choose either say all of them or choose one of just whatever but what is the what is um your favorite book music or sort of um song like album that you've like most recently been into okay let's see well, I've been, I've been, I'm, I'm always behind in media. So I'm just, I'm, Shits, I'm catching up on Shits Creek right now. Shits Creek is amazing. Yes. <laughs> so I'm only in season two. Mm-hmm. That's what happens when you watch it like 10 minutes at a time, but it's so <laughs> hilarious, but it's, I can totally watch it 10 minutes at a time. So that is definitely like my favorite right now. Um, um, and I just finished listening to, I, I listen to audiobooks while I, while I'm driving my children mm-hmm. around or like when I'm going to pick them up. Like, so I, I always have right now I have four audiobooks downloaded because mm-hmm. there's one I listen to when I'm by myself in the car. There's one I listen to with my older daughter. So I listen right now by myself, I'm listening to water for elephants, mm-hmm. um, which is a novel. And I'd have to look up the author, Sarah. I'd have to, I have to I don't remember their, their last name. Um, So there's that one. And then I'm listening to us by myself, a novel about a circus. It's great. Mm -hmm. Then there's um, the one that I'm listening to with my older daughter, which is Cinder from there's, there are these fairy tales set in the future. There's, there's a plague. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's an airborne plague, even. Oh my goodness. (laughs) which is a parallels (laughs) (laughs) um and but they're awesome I already listened to them all the way through and so now I'm listening with her and there's um gender issues there's all kinds of um and sexuality issues all kinds of stuff but still presented that like a 12 or 13 year old listening it's going to be totally fine Mm -hmm. but it's it's fantastic um so cinder and then with the with the younger one, I'm listening to a Beverly Cleary book because, and we just, Beverly Cleary just mm-hmm. died at 100 and, 100, 101, something like that. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the very nearly honorable League of Pirates is what we listen to when we're all three in the car together, oh, which nice. is also, it's super great. It's about a girl who wants to be a pirate, but the Pirate League won't let her in because she's a girl and she, she takes the whole thing on over the course of three books. It's pretty awesome. It's amazing so that you have like the different, <laughs> different audiobooks for the different occasions. 
It's amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of driving to ballet and mm-hmm. stuff like that that we do. So that's awesome. <laughs> so last one is what is one place in the world you would love to see that maybe you haven't seen yet or maybe you want to see again? Oh, um, in in oh, all kinds of places. Okay, but in um our in the climate change and agriculture class. We talk about Bali and the the sustainable rice right, terraces yeah. in Bali. Mm-hmm. Those I think would be really amazing to go see. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that that was like one of the uh, portions of that class where I was like, whoa, this is like this is I because you would never probably see this here in the U.S. or at least here in California. That seems like a little bit oh difficult gosh. to do here, but. Yeah, uh, it's like a system that I think is super interesting and definitely would be probably so beautiful to see too. Yeah, and all that cooperation around water, right? Yeah, yeah, it's so That's interesting. Really different. But yeah, that was our last question, um, and that pretty much wraps up our interview today. And I'm so excited that we got to talk, and really so glad that everyone's going to get to hear more about you um, and your stories. It was great having you. Are there any last messages you sort of want to give students or anything else you'd like to say? I appreciate how much effort everyone is putting in this year mm-hmm. and, and hanging in there because it has not been easy in, by any stretch. And it's given us like, right, would we have thought about this podcast before? I don't know. No idea. Yeah, that, yeah, it's a very good point. This podcast, the ENBS Instagram, which follow us there at Instagram but yeah there's so many ways um that we've been trying to connect so hopefully this is helpful and gives students you know some time to get to know uh professors and faculty and lecturers and everyone and get to meet them in office hours too yeah yeah and then hopefully we will just be able to yeah to just come for reals in person when it's office hours in person and hopefully we will hold on to that that just great joy of being together again mm-hmm. when it comes. Definitely. Thank you again, Katie. This was great to, it's great to have you. Um, and following up next, we'll be giving some advising messages for the week. All right, so these are the advising messages for week five. On April 30th, early application period for senior seminars, we're closing. The declaration deadline is also April 30th, as well as the application deadline for graduation with no fee. Enrollment for summer begins May 1st, and the withdrawal period ends on May 7th. We hope you all enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.